a listener production. Okay, let's start by just taking a deep breath. Welcome to Come Out Wherever You Are. This is a safe space for curious people to learn more about the coming out experience. So congratulations, you're now a part of our community. And because this is a podcast about the coming out experience, it's only fair that I go first. My name is Sean Zepps, and I am gay. I first came out in early 2000 when I was 12 years old. I was quite literally in a closet when I did it, which is my claim to fame. I think that's pretty cool. And I last came out, let's see, uh, four hours ago. I was at the playground. I had taken my twins across the street. I was speaking to a new neighbor, and I was playing that moment. Do you say it? Is this the day? Are you going to say husband? Are you going to say, I have a husband, you're gay? And I did it. So yeah, I guess I came out four hours ago. Today is a very big day. Today's an exciting day for me because we are welcoming a new member to the Come Out Wherever You Are family, Grace. Grace, can you just introduce yourself and tell us when you first came out and when you last came out? Hi, guys. Yeah, definitely. I first came out as a transgender woman when I was 12 years old. Um, I actually wrote it down on a post-it note because my stepmom could really see that there was something going on in that little head of mine and I was too nervous to say it out loud so she's like okay let's write it down so I did and then I last came out maybe last night when I posted a TikTok about my story and I uploaded a photo of me pre-transition and it kind of shocked everyone. Grace Highland is really good at the internet. Last year Grace started posting short educational videos about what it means to be a young trans woman and let me tell you they went off. In just over a year, she's built over 300,000 followers across Instagram and TikTok. Since she started, she's been on TV, she's had articles written about her, and she is regularly clocking over a million views on her videos. Her videos are fun and honest in a uniquely Gen Z way, and she's built a really beautiful community of both trans and cis people who watch her content to learn about what it means to be trans in the year 2021. Just so you guys are aware, we do talk about suicide in this episode. If you need help in any way, please be aware that Lifeline is available. 13, 11, 14. Okay, let's get into the episode. I'm going to reverse back, even before that first coming out moment, um, to a very young Grace. And I want to just talk about the moment you realized something's not right here. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm in the wrong body. I'm imagining was mm-hmm. is a better articulation. Talk to me about that moment. How old were you? I have the youngest memories of about four or five. And that makes sense because psychologists say that children get a grasp on gender identity at around that age. That's mm. when kids start to develop that sense of self. Um, so it was little things just like they were casting the preschool play at the end of the year, the Christmas play, and I wanted to go for the position of Mary. And then they said, no, you're not going to want to be Mary. You're a boy. And I was like, well, what does that mean? Mm. And then I would gravitate towards all of the girls' costumes and I would just feel more at home as a girl. And then as I got older, I realized that my feminine traits were something that should be hidden Mm. or embarrassed of and that I was different. Talk to me about that. So I'm imagining at that time in history, there probably aren't a lot of role models that may have been feeling similar to you. Did you know anyone at all who was either gay, lesbian, transgender, non-binary, anyone who could communicate with you about this experience? Absolutely not. Like, when I came out, as trans, I didn't really have anyone to look up to or point to and say, that's me. Just, I didn't have anyone who was an example that I could show people to help them understand. Mm. And I was very fortunate to have YouTube. Um, And there were a lot of creators on YouTube at that time. There was a 
I guess, a little community and they would share their story on their transition. And that really helped me find comfort and solace in my own identity and that everything turned out okay for them so it can turn out okay for me. Was there a moment where you discovered those words, where you first saw someone in writing or speaking and you saw trans woman and you went, holy crap. Absolutely. Absolutely. I call it the light bulb moment because all throughout my childhood, I just thought I was weird. I was a boy who was feminine, who felt like I was a girl. And I just thought that meant I was weird or destined for a life of unhappiness. But Mm. then one day I was surfing YouTube and I came across this little documentary about a young girl who was transitioning. And they were talking about when she was old enough, she would go on testosterone blockers and then later go on estrogen, which is the female hormone, which what that would do is prevent her from going through male puberty Mm. and instead she'd go through female puberty. So I was just like, wait, this is actually a thing where I don't have to grow up and become a man. Wow. And did you feel at that point that there was anyone in your life that you could talk to about this exciting information? Yeah, because it was so new. I didn't know how people would take it. I knew that my family was were accepting of gay and lesbian people mm. because that was talked about before, but I'd never heard them talk about trans. I'd never seen trans on anything. Or if I did, it was poorly portrayed on Jerry Springer or crime shows. Sure. And I just had no idea how they would react. Mm, you're so right, especially as a parent myself. If you can't see it, it's hard to be it. We know that. And Mm -hmm. for the last three, four decades, the idea of being gay or lesbian uh, was a part of the public consciousness. Whether or not it was accepted is a very different question. But if you were a young queer person, uh, you could find other people like you in the media. Um, But you're right. When it comes to being a, a member of the trans community or even more a new part of the conversation, um, non-binary. I mean, just five years ago, those words, uh, the larger conversation was not a part of the zeitgeist. So the average person or parent, like you were saying, wouldn't know to talk about it. But I imagine as a young person, uh, there might be a slight glimmer of hope that my parents are good people. You know, my parents are accepting of A, so hopefully maybe they'd be accepting of B. Is that something you felt? Absolutely. I, As unsure as I was, I definitely had that glimmer of hope. And I think no matter how accepting your parents are, when you come out as trans, particularly back when I did, the first thing that's going to run through their head is fear. Mm. Because, I mean, you can't really blame them, especially back then, any representation of trans people in the media was bad. We were either the butt of the joke criminals or crazy yeah like and so naturally if your child comes out to you as trans you're probably going to wonder well what's their life going to look like what's their quality of life going to be how how is their well-being going to improve as they grow if they're a part of a group that is so marginalized and I think where that's where a lot of lack of acceptance comes from parents because they hear the words trans and then they just shut down Mm. They're like, I don't want that for my child. Like, not because they have, I mean, sometimes they will, but usually not because they have anything to anything against trans people in particular. They just don't want their child to be put in harm's way. Yeah. I would say a big part of what drew me to you and, and, and a lot of your friends, you are a part of a beautiful community, is that there's a lot of positivity around what it means um, to just be a human. Like, there's just a lot of positivity in your, in your day-to-day life. I want to take you back before you actually started to speak to anyone. Were you always so positive inside? No, I wasn't actually. So I started my transition when I was 12. And so I went through all of high school as a trans girl. Um, and what that looked like for me in terms of the trajectory of my transition is... I came out at 12 in year seven, and then I went through a gradual transition. So I started to grow my hair out, went on blockers, changed my name, and started to wear the girls' uniforms. So then by the time I was at the end of eighth grade, I was fully transitioned. So Mm. then 
the kids at school watched me essentially appear from boy to girl. Mm-hmm. And then I went through the rest of my five other years in high school as Grace. So going through high school, you just want to fit in. You just want people to like you. And that's very hard when you are trans in a high school. And for me, I actually didn't take pride in the fact that I was trans at all. Mm. I almost ostracized myself from the community and I just tried to blend in. And it wasn't until I graduated high school and I realized that I wanted to share my story that I actually started connecting with other trans girls. And that just changed my life. They are some of the most incredible women I've ever met. They've changed my life forever. And it's such a privilege just to have them in my life and just to have people in my life who completely understand what it is that I go through. Mm. It's really, truly such an unusual um, experience, hard for straight heterosexual people to understand the value and power of finding a community of people who have gone through something similar. Uh, I can relate to, and, and just specifically my little G, you know, starting to find other gay men and, and being able to connect about that experience completely changes your perspective on the world, right? It's that chosen family and you guys connect on a different level. I imagine as a trans woman to have to go through that process at such a young age to find other people who also went through the process at such a young age must be insanely valuable. Definitely. And that's why it annoys me when some people say, why do you have to call yourself a trans woman? Why do you have to make a community? Why why do you have to put yourself into a group? It's because so many of us don't have anyone. Mm. And I was at that point before when I felt so alone. And then if I can use everything that I've learned in my journey to help other people and be a part of this community, then amazing. Like, I think sometimes people just have an issue when marginalized groups band together because there's something threatening about it. And I feel like when people see others taking pride in qualities that they deem as embarrassing or unacceptable, Mm. that threatens their own ego. So then they have to try and take it down. Well, really what people want, and and I'm making a gross generalization here, but I, I can understand that no matter what letter you identify with in our larger community, there is a narrative, which is, why do you always have to be so gay? Like, why is it all about being gay? Why do, you, why do you talk about it all the time? Why do you have to always talk about being trans? Why do you always have to bring up a, a pride march or a rainbow flag? Well, there's obviously a bunch of different reasons. One, our community, and this is not an exaggeration, our continuing, you know, to be hunted down. Yes. And... We are still in many countries, including this own and this one we live in, not safe. And so we need we need each other. First off, we're it's like fight or flight. Like let's let's band together. But also, I think the more emotional thing, which I I think why I'm so drawn to you and your group your group of friends, is there are aspects of what it means to be a human that you and I don't even understand. And sometimes we have to talk to each other oh, you had this experience yesterday on the bus? That's really interesting. Thank you. Now I can think about what I would have done in that situation. We we need each other so that we can safely walk through life individually and be the best version of ourselves. Uh, at least that's how I felt. And I'm hearing from you that it's probably how you feel too. Exactly, definitely. And people who meet me now after the fact, after the transition who haven't witnessed my darkest days, they see me as a happy, thriving, cis-passing girl who, I guess, has it together. Mm. But little do they know that it wasn't always like that. And so many of my sisters are not yet in the position that I am. Yeah, They're not in the position that I'm in. And I'm extremely privileged. And they can say to me, they can say, why do you do this? Why do you need to be a part of a community? Why can't you just be happy and normal and just live your life. Well, I don't feel comfortable Mm. just living my life knowing 
that so many of my sisters are in danger all of the time. It breaks my heart. Mm. It's probably my number one passion. Like, if there's one thing I want to see by the time I die is I want to see a much better world for my trans sisters because it just breaks my heart to see so many incredible women with limited potential. Mm. Wow. I want to take a step back before we talk about the future because I think it's really important that we save space for for how we're going to get to the future that you're imagining. But there was a moment, I imagine, and some would label it a coming out experience. Some of the uh, the words are changing. We're starting to to reframe it to welcoming in, especially in the trans community, where I love it's, that. it's actually it's actually information you knew knew all along. That's your truth, right? It's not like you decided one day. No, no, you this you were always Grace, and you've been welcoming people into that information. Um, and so I'm interested in that first moment, the first person, the first time you uttered or wrote down your truth. Talk to us about that moment and paint a picture for us. Okay. So I guess I'd spent maybe a month or two just every night watching YouTube documentaries and vlogs and advice videos from trans women reading vlogs. And I just fell in love with this whole online community of trans women who just made me feel safe and comfortable in my own identity. But at the same time, everyone else around me could see that there was something on my mind and something that I needed to get out. Mm. So again, I was 12 and this is the age where your body starts to change. You try and find your identity, you try and find yourself and you want to express yourself, but it's kind of hard when you're confined to a specific gender role that people have placed you in. Mm. So... I remember I was really upset one day and two really close friends of mine came and sat down next to me and they asked me what was going on. And then I just told them, I said, I'm transgender. This is what this means. And I showed them some of the YouTube videos and then they're like, they said, we love you. We support you. We're going to help you get through this. If you're ready, let's let us help you tell some of our other classmates because I had a very unique experience in high school. I was in a performing arts program, which basically it was a class from year seven to nine when we were all put in all the same classes together and they were all like performing arts type classes. So we had music, dance, drama, then the English, math and science. But so we were all like a little family. So I could trust all of them with that information that I was trans and I was kept with them throughout my gradual transition. So I always felt safe. For allies that are listening, did that positive interaction make it easier for you to to want to continue to tell people your truth? Absolutely. And the reason why I did that is because I knew if there were any negative experiences, I had those people to run back to. Mm, That safe space. Yeah. So you start with your friends. Um, did you start to tell more members of the school before you told your family? Um, it was just my friends. So most of my friends knew by the time my stepmom could really see what was going on. And then, you know, she essentially got it out of me. She's like, I can see something is going on. You're not getting out of this car wow. until you tell me what's going on in that head of yours. Let's write it down and let's work through this. And then that's exactly what we did. And then she actually took the initiative to, of course, with my permission, she told my dad, my dad was so accepting from the day dot, just he took it so well, which is a huge, huge privilege because I know that's so rare in my community. And then, yes, she helped me then tell the rest of my family. Wow. So you have clearly have a a wonderful relationship with your father and your stepmother. They... I do. They responded quite beautifully. Um, was that the same story for the rest of your family? Um, no. So, yeah, I just want to preface this by saying that my mom is one of my biggest supporters. She, I love her to death and I would not be where I am without her love and support. But mm. 
when I mentioned earlier that the first thing that runs through some parents' minds is fear, she was definitely one of those parents. And she, I just didn't, I just don't think she at first could really come to terms with the fact that my child is the one that's going to have to go through this. Mm. Like this kind of thing just doesn't happen to everyone. Like surely not. And she just was really, really scared. And she didn't take it well at first. Um, But then as time went, sometimes it's just time, time went on and she really just started to get it. Mm. Because I was seeing um, Dr. Michelle Telfer at the Royal Children's Hospital who... They have a whole gender clinic there. And I was seeing them regularly. And then one day, my doctor just sort of said to her, like, look, I strongly believe that transitioning is the right thing for your daughter. We need to help her. And then she just got on board. And ever since then, she's been amazing. Wow. I do want to hold space. I'm going to ask you some questions. These are not questions that I have for you because uh, I'm blessed enough to have... Um, really close members of my community that are trans. I'm asking these questions because I know that I'm sure you, some of your closest friends and members of our community get asked questions like this a lot. And it's probably what people are thinking. And so I want to hold space for you to kind of answer some of those questions. And and maybe this is exactly what your mother said. Um, What do you say when people say you're too young to know anything about yourself? Okay. I understand why they would say that, but the first thing I would tell them is to look at the research. Mm. They say that 99.9% of adolescents past the age of 12 to 13 who come out as trans are trans. Yeah. And I think it's also true more to the point where the suicide rates are extremely high for trans adolescents. They are. So I think you're taking a greater risk and a greater gamble by making your child wait until they're 18 to see, okay, are they really trans? Because statistically, they might not still be here. Yeah. It's not a gamble you should take. And just so we can kind of paint an even clearer picture between the ages of 12 and 18. (laughs) Puberty occurs. Exactly. So if you know without a shadow of a doubt that you are born into the wrong body, I am a woman. Like, that is my truth. And people say, well, you're too young to know. By the time, if you make it to 18, if you survive that process, you've also gone through puberty. Can you talk to me a little bit about why transitioning when you did is so valuable um, as a woman? Absolutely. This is probably one of my favorite topics when talking about trans issues. Essentially, when puberty kicks in, particularly male puberty, there are so many changes that occur in your body that are completely irreversible. Mm. And these changes have lasting effects on that person's mental well-being for their whole life. Such as, can you paint this for me? So are we talking about facial hair, genitalia growth? So the key ones are the bone growth. Okay. So your height, your the size of your hands, the size of your feet, your shoulders, your bone structure in your face. Mm. You can't change the bone structure of your body. If you want to feminize your face, yes, you can do that. But you have to fork out tens of thousands of dollars and have absolutely grueling surgery where they have to peel your face off and then basically sew it back together. And it's so unfair that trans women have to go through that in order to feel comfortable in their own skin. Mm. But that's just the way dysphoria works. Dysphoria is a horrible, horrible thing. It's caused by I mean, the mismatch between your physical body and your brain. Yeah. So then any traits that are masculine, it's going to make you severely uncomfortable. Dysphoria drives people to attempt 
make attempts on their life. Yep. It's such a severe thing. And to have to live with those traits for your whole life is just heartbreaking. I couldn't think of anything worse than knowing that you are trans and everyone telling you that you're not old enough to know and then having to watch your body go through all of these changes and then there's nothing you can do to fix it. And so if you do, if you are lucky enough, like you were to you know, speak to your family and roll them in the possibility of this transition, go seek medical guidance. Uh, w- one, in Australia, when can you start mm. that process legally? Okay, so this is another point that I like to make too when people are like, you're too young you to make this decision. In Melbourne, Australia, and particularly Melbourne, it is a very thorough process to let a child go through medical transition. It's not something that's taken lightly where you go to the doctor and then they write you say a you're trans and, you're done. and you get it. Exactly, yeah. right. So the odds are that by the time you're actually approved to go through these changes, the doctors are pretty darn sure that you're trans. Mm. That's the way it is. So for me, I came out at 12 and I was 13 by the time that the Royal Children's let me start testosterone blockers. Now, they're the first phase of hormone replacement therapy. Mm -hmm. What they do is they prevent the production of testosterone. And testosterone, for those who don't know, is the male hormone that causes male changes. So facial hair, Adam's apple, your voice to break, bone growth, et cetera, et cetera. Male pattern baldness, all of that. So then the second phase is introducing female hormones. Mm. So when I was 15, so I'd been on blockers for two years. When I was 15, the doctor said, all right, we think you're ready. Now you can go to court and apply. Because at that time, I needed the court's approval to get on it, Mm. to be deemed Gilead competent, which means the courts decide that you, I guess, are able to make that decision for yourself because I was under 18 and you no longer have to go to court now, which I think it was really silly that you had to go to court to get estrogen back then because Mm. what's a judge going to know any more than a doctor or a psychiatrist is going to know? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, the medical trained establishment who understands the human body. Yeah, if they're saying that you should go on this medication, then ultimately it should be them who decides. And that's how it is now, which is amazing. You're using the word you. Sorry, I just want to understand. Is it fair to say, I'm making a big assumption, that by you, you mean your parents have to leave? To to go through this process, do both parents, whether they're divorced or alive or anything, they both have to say agree as well? Yes. So to get on blockers, what you need is both parents' signatures, Mm -hmm. um, a signature from the pediatrician, and I believe it's a signature from two other psychiatrists. And then for estrogen, it's the same thing again. And back when I started, it was the courts as well. Wow. Do you remember the feeling of knowing that your parents said yes? It was just... A sigh of relief, just knowing that my body was not going to have all of these irreversible changes and I could just breathe a sigh of relief and just, I finally had hope for my future. Mm. I finally took pride in where my life was headed and everything that I wanted to do because I was proud to be me because I knew that everything was coming into fruition, all of my dreams. When you start blockers, I imagine looking in the mirror every single day, there might be some relief that you're not seeing changes, but not necessarily seeing your 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 true self just yet. Yes. When did you start to look in the mirror and go, holy cow, that is me? Ooh, so that's a tough one to answer because I guess with a lot of the dysphoria came a lot of insecurities as well. Mm. So being a teenage girl who was also trans. I don't think any teenage girl, at least I don't know one, 
that looks in the mirror and is like, wow, this is me. I'm beautiful. This is who I was meant to be. Do you know what I mean? So even as I went on blockers and then estrogen, I still had all of these insecurities, which plus dysphoria, which I really had to, I guess, work through. Mm. And it wasn't actually until recently, probably until this year, that I started to look at myself and think, okay, wow, this is me. Even though I completed my transition so many years ago, it wasn't until now that I've actually, I guess, dealt with all of those deep-rooted insecurities because a lot of those insecurities just comes from the way people treat you as well. Like in high school, all of the boys would make fun of me. You know, I all my friends had boyfriends and boys who liked them and I was the trans girl who no one was interested in. And I know that's definitely not true and all trans women are beautiful, but that's what I felt like inside and that caused a lot of insecurities. Sure. I mean, so much of what it means to be a young person let alone a young person who's a member of the LGBTQI plus experience and community, is comparison. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And then when you and then when you leave school, you can't escape it because it's on your phone, and you're just constantly looking at each other and going, "She has longer hair, and she has bigger breasts, and exactly. he's taller, and this and that and this." So I I can completely understand that that would be true. And it sounds like it wasn't like looking in a mirror. Again, I I, I knew I was making an assumption, but it wasn't like you looking in the mirror and going, "Wow, I love myself." It's actually not something you can see in the mirror, is it? It's something inside of you. That That's when you go, wow, I love myself. That's exactly right. That's exactly right, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm interested in, if your stepmom hadn't kind of sat you down and asked, what would have happened? Did you, did you think you would ever speak your truth? Is there a potential that if it wasn't for her that you might not have ever gone through this process? Oh, um, yeah, I, I think I was really scared ultimately. And there were definitely times where I felt like I was going to, but I definitely think if she didn't sit me down at that time, I definitely would, but I do definitely question if she hadn't have been in my life at all, where would I be? Mm. Who would I have turned to? Because... I don't know. I just, I think it could have definitely gone down a very different path had she not been in my life and been there to listen to me. Mm. The reason I ask, there's two questions I want to talk to you about. The first is, oftentimes allies will say, how can I help? What can I do? What language can I use? Specifically allies who are parents, who might have a hypothesis, an inference in their life that their child, you know, I get a lot of messages like that. I think my son is gay. I think my daughter is X. And the advice is split down the middle within our community. I think half people say, don't bring it up. Like, let them speak their truth to you. And then in your case, you you have a beautiful story of someone really, truly kind of grabbing hold and, and assisting you. What would you say to the parents of, of, of young people who might be trans, who have an inkling that something is wrong. They don't know the answer. They don't know 100% what's going to go on. But what would you say to those parents? What's the best way for them to approach it through your experience? I think if you can say that something's up and something's really troubling your child, then I don't think you should present them with a hypothesis. And make any assumptions, but I do think you need to be talking with them regularly and build a dynamic with them where they feel comfortable enough to tell you about anything. Because as someone who wants to be a parent one day, one of my biggest fears is the thought of my child not feeling like they can talk to me about anything. Mm. Like, So I feel like maybe building that dynamic is really important. And then maybe just saying, like, if there's anything you want to tell me, you can. Just build a space for them and a relationship with them where they feel that they can turn to you. Because would you rather them turning to you or to someone else? Mm. It's tricky. I mean, uh, 
you're cutting through. I'm a parent. I have two young children who are four, about to be four. And you said at the beginning of this conversation, you established that's when people start to think about gender. I am proof case of that. I have two small children who are very focused and interested in their body parts, how they're different to each other, how it looks or doesn't look, how it feels. Um, and so I can completely acknowledge at that at that young age that 100% they're starting to identify with being a specific gender or not. Um, but as a parent, you're trying to lay the framework and the groundwork that you're a safe space. And that can be tricky. It can be hard because you don't want to just throw blanket statements out there in the world no. because sometimes blanket statements aren't helpful. You're a perfect example. You know, my parents always said, God loves everyone. I heard that in my ear, but what I heard was everyone but me, everyone but us. For you, you heard your parents saying, we support gay and lesbian people, but it, it, it's not specifically addressing who you are. And so I struggle a little bit to give parents advice. It's like, well, what is that larger statement? What is that, that phrase that parents can say? It sounds like with you, this idea of if you have something to say, I'm here for you. I'm going to love you no matter what. You can speak your truth with me. But I'm wondering if you think there's value in acknowledging if you're gay or lesbian or trans or non-binary, you can tell me. Like, do you need to use those words? Is that helpful? Would it have been helpful for you? Yeah, definitely. I think that is very important. Just, I feel like there are creative ways that you can go about that without maybe saying, if you are X, Y, Z, then I support you because I feel like maybe that couldn't make the child self-conscious mm. in a sense. It's like, oh, what are they, what are they seeing in me that's different? Um, that's a good point. Whereas you could have open conversations about just maybe issues in the community. Like maybe you could just have open conversations so you talk about that so then the kids know that you are supportive. But at the end of the day, I feel like the parent potentially knows their child better than anyone, usually. Yep. Like not always, obviously. Mm. But I feel like it's different if, say, from the moment your child is born, you're constantly telling them, no matter who you are, if you are gay, lesbian, whatever, we support you. You can be anything you want to be. Um, That's beautiful. And I think that's fine. But I think it's another thing that when you can see that they're struggling and then you start, I guess, hurling like all these different, yeah, I guess, assumptions. Sure. That could be just hard to digest. Yeah, I can understand that. I mean, as a gay man, when someone says, are you gay? And you're a kid, Ugh. you go into a deep rabbit hole, right? You're like, I'm not doing a good enough job covering it up. Was I gay? I didn't even know what that word was. And all of a sudden you start kind of rambling down this. That's exactly what you're talking about, isn't it? You start, your mind, yes. your anxious monkey yes. brain goes, I'm failing. I'm doing something wrong. They're yes. thinking about it. Clearly I'm not doing a good job hiding it. I got it. that so much as a kid. Like, are you gay? Like I had a girl one time, I was just dancing and then she's like, are you going to get a sex change? She literally said that. This is in year three. This girl was nine. Wow. And I was like, what even is that? I'm seriously, year three. I mean, I did end up getting I'm not, like, <laughs> She was, I mean, you need to reach out right. to her. <laughs> yeah. How often, this falls into the second question I wanted to ask, which is how often do you feel that you need to address your transness with other people out in the world. Um, I, and we can break it up into two completely separate categories because I think we should talk about dating. That's its own <gasps> separate conversation. The reason yeah. I want to talk about that is because you have started to speak publicly about it and share your experience of dating. And, and I've seen that. So we, we need to get there. But just in general, walking into the world, school, new friends, neighbors, uh, all the experiences of life, how frequently do you have to address your gender and your sexuality? I don't think you have to. I don't think you owe anyone anything. If you want to, if we're talking about tra the trans identity, if you want to look at this as maybe a medical condition that's purely your business and no one needs to know, mm. that's perfectly okay. 
if you want to tell people and help educate people and answer their questions and get people to understand you better, then that's amazing too. I think it really depends on your comfort. And what's your comfort? I know that you're an advocate. This is a huge part of what you do every day. Obviously, you share your truth online. Does that make it, do you have to then walk into the world and go, I've chosen to be an advocate. I'm going to tell people. Yeah, I spent so much time being ashamed of it. When I graduated high school, I worked at a restaurant restaurant as a waitress for two years before I started um, doing social media full-time. And I didn't tell anyone. And then eventually I ended up getting, of course, my gender confirmation surgery while I was working there. Mm. And then it got out that I was having that done. But funnily enough, I also was trying to start up a YouTube channel while I was working there as well. And eventually my trans identity got out and it scared me. I broke down crying. But when we went into COVID, I was like, right, what is it that I really want to do with my life that I can do right now while there's nothing else to do? Mm. And I was like, I've always wanted to share my story and help my trans sisters, but I've always been too scared to do it. I've always had this little side YouTube thing going on that was a secret to everyone else except my little community. I had like 1.5 thousand followers, so it was quite small. Um, And I just, was my little thing that I like to do for fun. Mm. But as we were approaching lockdown, I was like, right, what am I going to do with all this time? And then I saw that my friends were telling their story on TikTok so I started to do the same. Mm. And then I had a video that just like blew up. It got like 1 million views. And then ever since then, it went from 1,000 followers to 10,000 followers to 100,000 to now 200,000. And it just, I kept building this community and seeing all of their lovely comments and everyone's support just really inspired me to keep going because this is something I always wanted to do. I always wanted to be like those girls that I looked up to that helped me so much when I was watching YouTube as a 12-year-old. And then I felt like I could finally do this as well and help others. Mm. And I guess I've just fully embraced it as my identity. Is the TikTok community versus Instagram versus YouTube... Are they accepting on average? Definitely. I think the TikTok community, I guess there's so many different communities within TikTok and Mm. sometimes your videos can get on what we call the wrong side of TikTok. Yeah. Some people write comments. They're like, oh no, the boys have found my TikTok account because if a video goes viral on a different side of TikTok, then you get all of these hate comments. Mm. Um, but then there's also a beautiful community as well where we all relate to each other. I'm, the reason I ask is oftentimes the advice um, that elder queers say to younger queers is find your community, find your safe space, find your people, and stay there. Right? Like once your family and your friends know you're good to go. You go to work each day, you got your friends and family, maybe you're lucky enough to find someone to spend your life with. Wonderful. That changes when you put your life online, doesn't it? It's You're stepping out of that safety net and you're going to the larger community of humankind and you're reminded that not all people are nice and not all people agree and not all people are accepting. And so I wonder how you deal with that because you're basically having to like be reminded of, of, of negativity every day. It's your job and you're being reminded that people don't like you. Yeah, I mean... I guess I look at it as it's not that they don't like me. It's just that they don't understand. Mm. So I take that as motivation to try and teach people because I think transphobia stems from ignorance and ignorance stems from lack of knowledge and lack of knowledge stems from lack of representation. 
So me stuck in COVID, if I want to be a trans advocate and I want to promote trans awareness and trans representation stuck at home in COVID, the only way I can do that is on TikTok, which was the most, I guess, profound social media app during that time. Mm. And people took it. It took off. And I guess people wanted to hear about it. And it just became this opportunity for me for even if it was just a video of me putting on makeup and saying I'm trans, that's someone who had never seen a trans person before came across me and was like, okay, trans exists in this form, yeah, not a prisoner on a crime show. Like, yeah. do you know what I mean? Absolutely. It's like just changing, like any representation for me is important. Mm. It's powerful. I mean, I imagine there are days you don't want to have to always be an advocate, but I think it's really beautiful that you can kind of step up and say, this is my job. So even when you see the ignorance in the comment section, you're able to kind of do the mathematical equation, which is like, well, that stems from lack of education. So let me educate you. And that's wonderful. Now, let's talk a little bit about dating, mainly because oftentimes we don't need to talk about this throughout the coming out experience. You come out as gay and then you meet other gay people and you date. But specifically as a trans woman or a trans man, there is, I imagine, steps along the journey of dating. Um, so I want to start at the beginning, which is, yeah. do dating apps make it easy? Do they allow you, if you want to, to put a label to yourself? How do you go about speaking your truth um, uh, when trying to find love? Well, I have done some little series on my TikTok and my Instagram reels where I will go on Bumble and I will tell guys that I'm trans and then see how they react and screenshot it and then make a compilation. Yep. And those are really fun. Um, I know on Bumble you can set it as trans, but for the sake of the video, I don't yep. because I want to get all the matches and then get a diverse array of responses. I want the negative. I want the funny. I want the accepting. I want all of it just to show people, I guess, the kind of responses people have because I don't really have much experience with dating. I wouldn't say I date. Okay. Um, but it's fun to do little social experiments and see how it goes. I know that people, that the general dating experience from my trans friends who do date, it depends on the app. The apps can be quite different experiences depending on the one you use. Yep. And do you think, well, one, you you say you don't date, and is it because it's just incredibly challenging? Um, I don't really know. Why I don't. I think maybe it's just a because, honestly, this might not be as an exciting, exciting of an answer that people are expecting. But, I mean, I am 20 years old and I graduated high school two years ago and I had my bottom surgery a year and a half ago and I wasn't, I didn't feel comfortable to date mm. until I'd had my bottom surgery. Mm. And then six months after I'd had it, we went into lockdown. And then when we came out of lockdown, I entered my first relationship. So I haven't really had much time yeah, of course. to date. Yeah, sure. So I don't know. I don't really do it too often. Mm. I want to go back because you bring up something uh, that I think we have to hold space for as well, which is your bottom surgery. Yes. When you know that moment where you said, this is who I am all those years ago, 12 years old. Have there been different phases of feeling? And again, I'm, I might sound insanely naive, so I apologize. This is coming from a place of empathy. I'm really wanting to understand where once that surgery occurred, you said, now I am, quote, complete. Now I am the woman I always wanted to be. Or have you really always just said, nope, this is who I am. I know that I am Grace and, and that experience has been consistent. Well, I had a different experience. So I guess there is an element of 
here are the steps I need to take in order to be, to feel female. Mm. And then once I've ticked this last box, which for me was bottom surgery, now I'm complete. But I've realized that it's an unfair standard to put on yourself to expect to feel whole all of the time. Mm. Whether you're trans, whether you're cis, whether you're pre-op, whether you're post-op, life can suck sometimes. You can lose money, gain money, get fired. People pass away. Some days you're going to love yourself. Some days you're not. And I don't think dating should be this thing where it's like, you achieve all your goals, you get all your ducks in a row, you wait until you're this perfect whole person and then you're ready to find the one. Yeah. I don't think it should be like that because guess what? We're not always going to feel whole and perfect. Mm. I think dating is about finding that person where you say, right, I want to go through the crazy roller coaster that's life with you because the privilege of being able to share these experiences with you and to love you is worth it. So when it comes to this feeling of, am I complete? Some days I feel complete, some days I don't. Mm. Like, it just really depends. Like, there might be days where I'll be hung up on certain features or certain aspects of my body which make me feel dysphoric and other days where I feel perfectly fine. So it's so difficult to pinpoint because so many trans people is so different in their Mm. experience. Like some people don't feel like they even want the surgery and that's perfectly okay. Some cannot live without it. Yeah. I think that's really important. I think for a lot of people to understand often, obviously you're speaking from your experience and what you said it perfectly, what it meant to you to feel complete. But there are also many members of the trans community, brothers and sisters who are non-binary, gay, lesbian, who are each seeking their own definition of complete. Absolutely. Who might never change a single aspect of their physical appearance, but know 100% who they are. And I think that's the power. That's the challenge is just identifying what that complete means to you and then not negotiating with other people. Yeah, definitely. So you're here today in front of me. Um, a lot of what you put out in the world is is a ton of positivity. Uh, you have accepting friends and family, which is beautiful. Um, it really does seem as if you love yourself in a beautiful way, which is so wonderful to see. We know that it wasn't so easy to get here, and you've given us a little glimpse into that. I'm really interested in what advice you would you would want to give to young people, because that is really what you do every day. That's your job, basically, is to advocate for these young people. Yeah. But if you had a chance to speak to a, a young person in Australia who is quite confident that they are in the wrong body, what would you say to them? I would say choose you. Choose you because ultimately you know yourself and what's best for you better than anyone else. You're going to have so many people trying to tell you how to be, how to act, what to do with your life. But I think that you have the intuition and you know what it is that you need to be doing. And this might sound contradictory to what I just said, but if you're struggling to find acceptance within the current circle that you have, build a new one. Mm. The friends are the family that you choose. And the support that I have from my friends is priceless. You You can't put a price on that. And we're so blessed to have social media now. Again, it comes with some negatives, but it makes it easy to find a community. And I think finding a community is really so important. Absolutely. And what advice would you want to give to allies, other parents out there, people who just want to, who just want to do the right thing for their children, uh, for their community, what advice would you say to uh, to allies? And, and another way, I guess, for you to think about it is what do you wish uh, non-trans people understood? My three pieces of advice would be don't be afraid to ask questions because there are so many 
encounters I've had with people who they're like, oh, I really want to ask this, but I don't want to offend you. I'm a bit scared too. And I'm like, no, I would rather you know the truth than be left thinking something else. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So please ask me, please learn. So then my next piece of advice would be to learn, to educate yourself, to truly understand what it means to be trans. And then the last piece of advice or I guess request would be to defend. So if you be a positive bystander, be if you hear people making comments or you see things like just, I guess like it's one thing to understand and be supportive, but it's another thing to actually take action. Mm. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. You said earlier in the conversation, and I want to end here before you die, the kind of world you would like to see for your trans siblings. Yes. What is the future for you? What is the future you'd like to see for your friends, for your siblings, for the larger community? You look, you look down the line five years, 10 years, 20 years, and what are you, what are you hopeful for? I want a world where people can come out as trans and then the reaction is, okay, cool. What are we having for lunch? Mm. And it's just not this big shock and that there is enough resources to help trans people, but also to help educate. I will say, and I think this is where we'll wrap up. um, I don't know that you are always aware of the impact that you have. I know you, you know, you create content and you get really good feedback. I'm sure from other members of our larger community Um, but you are the education. You are the tool, right? I have flipped the camera around on your videos and I've shown my three-year-old children you and they'll ask questions. You know, my daughter's said, oh, she's so beautiful. Yes, she is. And we get to have conversations. We get to have conversations because of the internet, because of your stories. We're able to say, We've had conversations um, about pronouns. We've had conversations about transitioning. We've had conversations about trendness. I didn't know that this existed until I was like 15. I didn't even know what a trans person was or a non-binary person. So the fact that because of what you're doing every day, a th- two three-year-olds in Sydney, Australia have a greater understanding. Imagine what my kids are going to understand by four and five and six. And so I know that that's what you're hopeful for, but just know that you're a part of it. And and just thank you. Thank you for speaking your truth with me. Thank you for answering some of the harder questions. And um, and thank you, you know, for giving younger people a hope um, for a better future. Thank you so much for the kind words. I really appreciate that. Like, it just, it warms my heart so much that you think that and that I have the privilege to help change people's perspectives because that's ultimately just a dream come true. Mm, that's great. I it, I know that not everyone feels that they need to kind of step out and, and advocate like, and, and it, it doesn't, it shouldn't have to be that way for everyone. Sometimes people just want to live. But to your point, if you're, if you're looking into the future and, and you're hopeful for a more accepting future, if you worked out the equation, you know, education is really where it begins and, and you're really a, a powerful part of that. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. And you are too. Thank you. If people are inspired, parents as well, um, by what we've I've just shared in particular, how can people find you all across the internet? I go by grace.highland with two Ds on everything. <sighs> okay, we did it. How are you guys? How are you feeling? I know that this episode could have brought up some interesting feelings for some of you. And if it did, there are some resources that I think you should check out. So Minus 18 is the first one. They're Australia's LGBTQIA plus charity. They have a bunch of great resources online. They hold wonderful events and they also offer trainings for classroom and workplaces around sexuality, gender, and creating a safe space for LGBTQIA plus people. They're also all over social. Uh, you can follow them at minus one eight youth and you spell out one eight and their website is minus one eight dot org dot au. But 
They are not a helpline. So if you're looking for support in that way, you can call QLife. They're at 1-800-184-527. They offer a free phone service every day from 3 p.m. to midnight. Um, So if you want to talk to someone about your gender, your sexuality, your identity, relationships, any feelings, that's a perfect place. But if you're feeling really anxious and you're not up to talking on the phone, that's fine. They do have a web chat at qlife.org.au. Lifeline is also available 24 hours a day for crisis support and suicide prevention. So their number is 13 11 14. If you want to be part of the Come Out Wherever You Are community, you can follow us on Instagram at Kawa Podcast. That's C-O-W-Y-A Podcast. You can also follow me. Uh, my handle is at Sean Zepps. That's S-E-A-N-S-Z-E-P-S. Come Out Wherever You Are is a community. And I want as many people within this community, the LGBTQIA plus people, allies, friends, curious folks, I want everyone to have access to this powerful network of people. And the best way for that to happen is for you to share. So if you like this, you can share a link in your group chat, text message, put it on your Instagram story, a little swipe up link, do whatever you want to help get the message out there. Come Out Wherever You Are is presented by me and me alone. No one helped me in the creation of the show. I'm kidding. My name is Sean Zepps, but there are three wonderful people that we need to shout out. Um, My producer, my number one, Lindsay Green, our executive producer, Jennifer Goggin, and our audio producer is Darcy Thompson. Listener.